You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. Today, we're talking identity. Specifically, what can happen to ours as athletes during the menopausal transition. A few of you have messaged me struggling with what can only be called an identity crisis. One woman writes, I can't run marathons until I figure out this fatigue and joint pain. But who am I if I don't run marathons? I'm a marathoner. Another wrote, who am I if I don't race bikes? Noting that her motivation just wasn't there right now. Who is this woman staring at me in the mirror? I hear that one a lot. And if you listened to the show with Jeannie Wall last week, you heard a lot of discussion about how it can rock you to your core when you have one impression of what you look like in your mind, and it's met with a very different reality in the mirror. This week's guest, Lisa Hess, who is a life and wellness coach for athletes, refers to this collective unraveling as a life quake which she is clear to note is a term she didn't make up, but it certainly fits the circumstances. And we dive into all of it, how menopause affects us as athletes who experience our life and much of our joy through our bodies, defining ourselves as we make changes through this transition, and how to find solid ground when the earth seems to be shifting under our feet every five seconds. Lisa is a nationally board-certified health and wellness coach, an international coaching federation professional coach, a self-described neuroscience nerd, and a big believer in the idea that it's never too late to change our narrative while honoring what we bring with us from the past. She is a gem and a wealth of wisdom, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. You can learn more about her and her work at lisahess.com. All right, before we get to it, Little reminder, we have those podcast guides. Come and get them. I took the most popular episodes from last year, Breaking Down the Science with Dr. Stacey Sims, Weighty Matters with Dietitian Diana Reed, and Estrogen Matters with Drs. Avram Blooming and Carol Tavris, and I boiled them down into easy-to-use guides that include the background in each guest, an overview of the information, and clearly written action steps along with links to references. You can get them right now. Just go to feistymenopause.com slash podcast guide to download them for free. Also, a quick reminder that you can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have the private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group where you can come in and join all of our discussions all day and all night. If you have ideas for the show, hit me up at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for the hearts, the reviews, the five-star ratings. Again, we've got lots of big plans for the new year, and all of your support is making it possible. You're helping us to grow, and I am super-duper appreciative. Okay, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. As listeners of this show know, we talk about some pretty uncomfortable topics. So I am stoked to have a new sponsor on board, Bonafide, who is helping women find relief from a very uncomfortable topic, vaginal dryness. As estrogen declines, those delicate tissues can suffer, 
making everything from riding a bike to having sex uncomfortable, if not outright painful. Bonafide is devoted to helping women find solutions to symptoms like this that are related to the menopausal transition. One product that I can tell you works like a charm is Reverie. It's an easy to use vaginal insert that rejuvenates vaginal tissue and replenishes your body's moisture so you get relief from itching and burning and also greater overall comfort and improved intimacy. A few of my guests have recommended it. I have tried it. It works. Bonafide also has a host of other products, including a new probiotic supplement that is formulated to promote a healthy vaginal microbiome. You can give Bonafide products a try today. There are no hormones and no prescription is required. You just get quick, real relief. To get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any product, go to hellobonafide.com and use the promo code HITPLAY, all caps, all one word. That's hellobonafide.com, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E, and the code is HITPLAY, all caps, all one word, for 20% off at checkout. And I'll also put a clickable link in the show notes. Check it out today. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. Lisa, I am so glad to have you on the show today. Uh, I'm really appreciative that our my producer, Carrie, made this connection because I think you have so much to offer to our audience. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. I'm a huge fan of the show and um, have always, like I told you, when I'm listening too often to many of your your uh, guests, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I just appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so so I'll go right into it because, you know, in your work, you talk about, quote unquote, life quakes, which is a which is a word that I really, really like, you know, like those messy, twisty challenges in life. And when I heard you talk about them, my 
first thought was, where does menopause fall on the lifequake Richter scale? <laughs> yeah, I love that question. Um, so for your listeners, uh, I didn't coin the phrase lifequakes, but I wish I did. And I would mm. love to know who it was that I got them borrowed from. But, um, you know, what's interesting about menopause and perimenopause and that period of time in our lives is that as another guest of yours that I heard recently say, it's not a surprise. It's not that we don't know this is going to happen. This is an interesting kind of a shifting kind of a life quake because we do have the ability to be kind of knowing it's going to come our way. Also honoring that everybody is going to have their own experience with menopause, perimenopause and how it impacts our bodies and our minds. So it's, it falls on the Richter scale. I think it's way up there. Zero question. Um, and also, it can hold a place where we can actually be a little bit mindful that it's going to come our way, that um, we can begin to drop into some tricks and tools around, okay, I keep hearing from my training partners that they're feeling like they're, they're not hitting their times or they're not on the podium as often or they can't even get out of bed as quickly. I'm hearing that from others. Um, interesting. How's that going to impact me? And get curious about it. And so just being curious, it's not going to change what's going to physiologically happen in our bodies, but we may be able to um, handle that life quake in a slightly different, maybe more mentally stronger place that it may not take us out or that we may embrace it. And like, as your, um, I think it was uh, Dr. Christian um, Diefenbach said, like, there is a reason why our body does what it does during menopause. And we need those hormones later on. There is a reason why we get that little pouch. You don't want to be a super skinny old lady. It's not healthy. I'm going to get into trouble with some people around that comment, but it is true. Right. And so, oh Yeah. My body is doing this for a reason. It's actually a good reason for many reasons. So how can I shift my expectations to be a little bit more kinder on myself while I'm going through this time? So I think it's a yes and. It is high on the Richter scale, and I think we can handle it sometimes. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really great answer, though. I have to say, if you are paddling in the river of denial, like maybe I was... <laughs> <laughs> even though you've been writing about it, talking about it and all this stuff, it can feel like, you know, some sort of rift has just opened up and swallowed you whole, you know, like it just, it's totally, oh, for sure. Especially um, a high percentage of our audience right now, right? We are, we are doers. We are, we get things done. We, um, we dig in our heels. It's not going to be me. I'm ready for it. I'm going to be prepared 100%. So then what do we do with that? So I love when my clients and people that are in our world can say, which is, okay, I think I need to be a little bit more compassionate in this moment. Mm -hmm. Very difficult, but probably one of the most powerful tools all of us have with us, which is, crap, this feels like crap right now. Okay. Give yourself a little tenderness, you know, um, and in that moment, there's a neurotransmitter shifting that will happen in our brain 
even if we don't know it. Self-compassion lowers the cortisol. Mm. It um, offers us, us, when we lower the cortisol, the tr- neurochemicals that are going to help us be able to manage this struggle and this challenge increase. Um, even if we don't know it, Celine, like even if we're still like fighting the fight, if we can go, oh yeah, this is hard, man, mm. I thought I could handle this and it's kicking my ass. Is that all right for me to say that it word? It's totally <laughs> fine for you to say that word. <laughs> um, because it's really also important, like you just said, like paddling the denial. Ooh, this is one of those shifts where we- And you go over a waterfall. <laughs> You're like, what has happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're at the bottom of it. Like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the hot moment of like, okay, I honor, I honor this. This is hard. Yeah, I like that. I think it's important because it's the the first instinct might be to suck it up and not say that, right? And not not be like, acknowledge that it's a hard space. Yes. So with my clients that I work with that identify, primary identifier is an athlete. Mm-hmm. He has been um, effort. With the Effort is easy for us, if that right. makes sense. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's actually our happy place for many mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so here is a great reminder to the athlete that effort is not efficient. So, so stay with me for a second. So you're okay. in a bike race. Give me, give me one of your bike races where you, um, you remember noticing yourself really working hard. <laughs> I was in a 200 mile gravel race in Kansas. Uh, used to be called DK 200. It's now unbound. And about 165 miles into it, things were getting very dark. <laughs> I was <laughs> feeling very, very rough. It was hard to eat. It was hot. I I would like to have just lied down under a tree somewhere. So yeah, right, right there. And what did you do in that moment? Um, I actually reminded myself that I had been there before and, okay. and try to pull out any bag of tricks that I could to make, make the darkness a little brighter. I've also always told myself that when you go into that dark spot, it's a tunnel, not a cave. Like in cycling, they talk about the pain cave a lot. And I'm always like, a cave has bears in it. There's it's there's only one entryway and there's no exit. (laughs) You know, like can we make this a tunnel so at least there's some light on the other side? Um, you know, so I like, but that's a lot of experience talking, right? I mean, there have been races when I was younger that I might have actually started crying. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, that's beautiful. And so when you were able to tap into some of those tricks mm-hmm. that you have now like created in yourself reframing you did a yeah. beautiful reframe right there <laughs> um and you also like okay right darkness there's light somewhere you allowed yourself a moment though i'm guessing where you're like oh, holy cannoli right um and then then do you remember what happened next as you continue through that tunnel um it, it honestly didn't get a whole lot brighter that was one of my roughest races ever i <laughs> i it was just the heat had just sneaked up on me and I was in a bad way. Like I had actually sort of vomited a little bit. Like I I was getting heat illness. So all I did was like, okay, how long is it to the next aid station figured out like sort of in my mind, how long that would take me. 
And then I was like, you can just, pe- you can pedal there. You can definitely just pedal there. Just keep pedaling, you know? And that's what I did. I kept pedaling. I'm like, when you get there, get a Coke, you know, like, and that's yes, what, what I did. Beautiful. That's beautiful because you didn't say, oh yeah, yeah. I, there's light here. Celine. This, you can do this thing. You were like, I might be in trouble. Yeah. So the ability for you to recognize in that hot moment, oh, I might be in trouble. I might need to, you probably even thought I might need to stop. Yeah. So the way that you were able to have that clarity was because, you know, micro moments before you were able to acknowledge, okay, this is hard. So that was a self-compassion moment. So you didn't know this, but your neurochemical started to shift. Wow. And then you were reframing. Okay. This is a tunnel. This is a tunnel. It's not a cave. There's not a bear. I don't have to stop. (laughs) Right. So that, that, what I heard in that is like the power of the micro moments. Mm. And you were accepting, you dropped into a tiny bit of acceptance. This might, I might have to quit, but it didn't stop you. So that, that dropping into that acceptance was really powerful. You have another client, um, a, a guest, Dr. Alicia Brosi. Gross. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Gross. Yeah. The CBT, you, you yeah. utilized it in that hot moment because what you did was acceptance, some compassion, reframing, and it all happened really fast, right? So that is how, if we loop back to your question, which is, yeah, but if I'm in the denial river and this happens to me, what do I do? So you drop into all kinds of little tools from experience. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons why I love to work with athletes because you, your experience um, somatically, like in your body, physiologically, you know what it feels like. And I try to remind my athletes of that. This is a, actually a gift that you have, that you have um, the ability to know in your body what does this feel like? Is this a feeling that I need to pay attention to? Do I need real medical medical help? Is this a feeling I've had before? Have I done something like this before? Yeah, I had that other way. So that's why I asked you that. So we, in the hot moment, we may not remember that we have all those tools already within us. And so for your listeners who are a little bit younger on the scale and maybe haven't, you know, they're listening to your podcast and they're like, wow, this thing is real. I'm not quite there yet. Or I'm starting to know some symptoms notice. That's where I encourage the athlete to um, notice the somatic experience of their workouts, their races, what's going on for me, mindfully tuning in in the middle of a long ride taking a breath intentionally, lowering the cortisol, like all those things that you can practice mm-hmm. in lower stakes environments. It's all going to help when we go through this life quake. Can you, just, can you define uh, somatic for people? Like, yeah, it's okay. a physiological um, experience that we have in our bodies, in our physical bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people... We all know them. A lot of people live in their heads for a lot of their <laughs> lives. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they're very cerebral. I have some clients that will come to me and they have, they hung up their athletic self at some point in their lives. They got on the career track. They're doing the things or whatever they're doing. And they get to around 50 
45 to 50 and they look in the mirror like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't recognize myself. This isn't who I thought I was. If I can help them tap back into the somatic experience of what it was like when they were doing their sport, it can be really powerful. But it's a tool that we can all be utilizing and also strengthening constantly. But uh, so there's the people that live in their heads. A lot of us live in their bodies. Our lives have been through the lens of our physical selves first yep. and then yep. our mind, right? That is that point where it can be. I had an athlete say to me, she was a swimmer, and she said, My superpower was my kryptonite. This is an example of that because we may not be able to effort our way through mm. this moment in our lives. Mm-hmm. And if you can remember that you are most efficient as an athlete when you're not grippy, right? When you're not tense, right? We just know that you are economically mm-hmm. you're most efficient. You are in the flow when everything is coming together, and you're not like ripping the handlebars, and you're not totally. like clenching your teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, did did I answer your question? About yes, you did. Th- yes, you did. Thank you. Um, which which segues pretty nicely, I think, into the, the my next thought is that, you know, you take that same person and I heard you in one podcast that you did on someone else's show talk about, uh, you know, running as being your North Star. It has been your North Star, your longtime runner, Boston marathoner, many time marathoner, um, you know, and I hear from women who feel the same about whatever their chosen activity is, you know, sometimes it's running, sometimes it's something else. But then they are very rattled when the clouds of menopause cover that star, you know, with aches and pains and lack of motivation. And how do you orient yourself when you can't see the North Star anymore? Mm-hmm. It's got to still be there, right? Hopefully, you know, um, it's just got like mm-hmm. an overcast over it. But how do you how do you orient yourself when that happens? Yeah, yeah, right. It, and it can be that really the right. Exactly. That's a great question. The North Star might just be cloudy. It's mm-hmm. not that they're not still able to run, but they're noticing that some of the things that made them feel their best selves as runners are now becoming much more of a challenge, right? Yeah. That's what yeah. you're referring to, right? Yeah. So therein lies the power of as soon as you can notice the important tool of what other things about running are keeping you running. So let me give you an example. So for myself, a while and this, I, I highly recommend this is something that people do because it can be a powerful exercise and I did it to myself. So I, I made a timeline, took a piece of paper and I made a timeline of all of the pivot points in my life, flex pivot points. I went way back. I start, you know, you know my history a little bit. I started running when I was 13. I, I started running right after my father died. Um, I happened to have somebody in my life that was also a runner and she was the, also a family of six um, kids. And like, we just bonded and we would go running. So I started there with, okay, that was a big life quake. And your father died when you were 13, just so people are. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you. He, he died when he, when I was like 12 and a half, I started running very soon thereafter. I wasn't on the team. I wasn't in races. I just started to run. It was my way of dealing with something really hard. So I did this exercise and I went, okay, here's a big life quake. What else did I have in my life at the time? And then I 
kept doing those timelines. Like, you know, so college is a life plate for a lot of people. It's, mm-hmm. it's a hard transition. Even if you cannot wait, you get there and you're like, oh, right. Yeah. And so I did that and I kept, um, and I wrote in each moment, uh, each pivot point, what was present for me and how did I keep myself staying the course of how I wanted to go? Or if I didn't stay the course, like where did I go and what was present? And it was really powerful something because for me, and this is why this is such an, a powerful experience to do for yourself, my North Star could have been running because it was definitely a common thing that I kept staying with. Mm-hmm. One of my tools in each of my life plays, but I also had friends. Mm. I also had, I noticed outdoors is really important for me in all mm. of my life plays. I noticed that I made sure nature mm-hmm. was one of my pillars. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed at some point I started to ask for help. It wasn't early on. I also had, um, so do you see where I'm going with this? So I had other things that were also associated with this North Star. So now here I am. I'm a woman in my 45, 50, whatever, wherever I am. And I'm starting to get rattled because what I thought was most important to me as a runner, maybe like, let's say this is like, I keep getting on the podium or I'm hitting my time or I'm doing that marathon. I will encourage and invite that athlete is that really the only thing that's keeping you doing that running and we know it's not why would we go through another marathon (laughs) they're really hard hard. (laughs) um and about like mile 18 you really it's there's a there's a moment where you're like okay really i have this many more miles to go yep my quads are starting to clench um what do i need okay i better fuel I need to tap into my breath. Who is around me right now? Right, right. And we can utilize those as part of our North Star. Our North Star is not actually the finish line, although it can be helpful and it's really empowering. The collective, um, Brene Brown has this great term, collective effervescence for me is one of my pillars. To be standing at the start of a race um, and noticing everybody around me, but I look, one of my lenses is like, what's happening around me and how are all these people doing this thing? That's so hard. What is making them come to this place right now? I'm super interested in that. And I also, it's contagious. Um, and it, that's a somatic thing. I have, um, a friend who is an Olympic rower, two different, um, Olympics. I think she was Sydney and maybe Beijing. And she told me that for this Olympics and for any Olympics, and I think you can relate to this as a cyclist, just watching the Olympics, she's sitting in her house in Ann Arbor watching the Olympics. She can feel her heart rate. Oh my God. Every time I see a start line, I get like my, my, everything happens. Like I'm there. It's very hard for me actually to watch a start line because I get, I'm like, and then my husband's always like, you're not there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but I feel it. (laughs) Yeah. But the good stuff of that also is there. The good stuff of, oh yeah, all my, all these people that I love. If you have a group of runners that you run with, or if you have a group of people that you swim with or whatever Mm -hmm. your sport is. Yeah. It's rare that we have a sport that was truly, truly individual sports are individual. 
running a marathon, I'm, I might be on a team of people, but I'm only in my own race. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little different when your sport is like hockey and you right, do have to right. Which is a true team. Yeah. to pass through the park. Yeah. But also I would say that my son was a hockey player, is still a hockey player, D1 and a little past that. But um, anyway, he hung up his skates for about three years when he went to grad school and it took him a while to get his skates back on. He, he had been that athlete um, student for so long. He needed to kind of, I think I need to hang on my skates for a while. He did some other things. He got into boxing. He found a way to be tapping into some needs for that empowerment and hard body stuff. Now he's back to, you know, skating on a men's team and skating it in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's interesting because that sort of seg- dovetails into what, you know, Kristen Diefenbach had talked about, and it's come up on the podcast a few times is that sometimes y- y- the, you know, I- if you're at a place where the marathon is just not calling you or whatever it is that was, you were doing in your sport is, is not calling you the same way. Like there are other ways to express yourself as an athlete, you know, that, that might satisfy that, that might not, that might be adjacent to your North star, you know, but, but still get, still orient you and still give you joy. Yes. And, and what's tricky. Yes. This is a yes. And totally agree with her. Absolutely. It's difficult when you're in the depths of that and you can't, you know, uh, to be fair, it's very difficult for me to find anything that matches the going out for a um, moving meditation of a massage run. I'm going to call it. I had a coach that said today is a massage run, which was, I'm just going to go move my body across the earth in running, which is feels so freeing to me mm-hmm. when we're in that place where we really may have to like hang up our running shoes, let's say mm-hmm. um, it's hard in the cute time to mm-hmm. acknowledge yeah there's another sport you can do right, right? Totally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we there's nothing worse than when you're in your deep own deep suffering of whatever it is and and i will honor i mean i'll just say right we're talking about something that is really important it's our identity it's mm-hmm. our sense of purpose mm-hmm. it's our community it's our social community we may have uh, others may have hung their own hat and identity on us. I was getting that. That's the question that's coming up later. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So all of that plays into don't tell me there's another sport I can do right now because I'm sorry, but you have no idea what it feels like to be out running and moving my body in this freeing place of running. So in that moment for that athlete, honor that. Like, this is where I would say that athlete is, um, it's time. So there's a place for, yeah, let's shift to something else that you can find. But also, right now, maybe you just need to stay in the mud. Maybe you need to grieve. Maybe you need to really allow yourself some serious, tender compassion. This is really, really hard. I miss this. It's grieving. It is a loss. And this is where I also think, Celine, that the somatic, this is also a kryptonite for some of us because we know what it feels like physically cellular level to be that athlete in that flow. 
Um, and so I kind of think that it's almost like it's got its own, it's its own type of loss that is really different than not any loss. So I, I really want my listeners to hear. I'm not talking when we have a loved one die. Right. Right. But it, it is, does have its own flavor. So honoring that first might be where that athlete needs to be for a while. Just let yourself lean into that sadness and let yourself do it. And when you do that, when you allow yourself to be in that mud for a while, you actually can find some clarity. You can say to yourself, okay, I'm just going to listen to her, give myself tenderness, tender, tender, yeah, discipline or compassion, kindness. And then be like, is it true that I'm never going to find that feeling in any other way? Maybe not. Okay. So then what do you need right now, Lisa? I think I just need to stand up, get a glass of water, text a friend, go outside, get some fresh air. So I look at it as like multiple lanes on the track that you can be utilizing at the same time. Totally. And, and, and to, and and to take a little step back, I think that, you know, in some cases, it might not even be this more seismic shift to another sport where you're leaving your community, you know, like that's a large yeah. shift. Um, yeah. But, you know, for a lot of women, they may have been ultra competitive and like an Ironman level or, you know, in some level in whatever activity they do. And at some point they want to make it like they're just ready to, to make a shift, you know, and, and menopause may be nudging them that way too. Um, but, but you, you bring up a great point. Like, how do you manage the expectations of others? Right. Like, you know, I know I reached a point where I was joyfully willing to start heading other directions and other avenues in my sport. Right. I mean, I'd done all the stage racing, I'd done whatever, but there's you, you, I almost felt like I was disappointing some people, you know, and it was this weird, like, <laughs> sorry, but like, how do you met? Like, <laughs> yeah, this is the CBT moment. This is the tapping into some, um, or I'm not a therapist. I'm not a therapist and I know what my wheelhouse is. And I'm very clear. Mm-hmm. Like this sounds like, so when I was talking about loss and everything that yeah, might yeah. even be, this might be a time to have a professional help you with that. Right, right, but this right. is a, a great question. So you're not, you are intentionally deciding the, the sport that I was doing, it's not fulfilling me as much anymore. And I kind of want to turn to another sport and do something else, but all or another people, activity within that same sport. I mean, somebody could go from being a marathon or do a 10 K runner, right? Like there's other things you can do or a trail runner. Go ahead. Yeah. For you to have that awareness that, oh yeah, like some people might be disappointing in me, disappointed in me. That's, that's some mindset work um, because it's, it's, um, are you really responsible for other people's feelings? Well, no. Um, right. So you, that's, that's one of the lanes is I'm going to do some mindset work. And do I really believe that it, 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 you have a lot of evidence to be true. Like this swimmer was saying that her mom identifies one of her, ident- one of her mother's identifiers is she's the mom of a Olympic swimmer. Right. And so this young woman was saying, if I'm going to do something different with my sport, that it's going to jar my mom. Well, you're not responsible for your mom's men. You're not responsible to manage your mom's weather. We have to do our own work around that. 
we're not responsible for anybody else's weather patterns in their own minds. We got to do our own. So it's trusting, it's having conversations, uh, looking at our own selves, and then dipping our toes in that other thing and feeling it and going, this is so much fun. And you're, you, you switched your gears a little bit and you went in a different way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then it became fun because it was novel. It was a new thing that you were learning. Your energy around that sport is contagious. Right. Right. So there's the lane. There's the couple of lanes. Mindset work, recognize it. Ooh, I might disappoint some people. Am I really responsible for them? You know, doing that work and also doing it and feeling it and going, oh, this is so much fun. Right. How does that sound to you? Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. But it also begs the question about our own identity, right? Because a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of women in the audience, but you know, I, I have been there too, where we are what we do. Right. And we are, we have grounded an identity in what we do. So menopause, and I've seen this in, in the membership and in the channels a lot will come along and sort of pull the rug out from underneath people a bit like that where they're not able to just do what they always did the same way. And now they don't know who they are. And Mm -hmm. how, how do you help people navigate that? Mm -hmm. So for the, this is, you know, I wish that it would have those, those individuals earlier on. This this is the power of some kind of an experience because rarely do we get to that age with not having other hats that we're wearing. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, also, so it's honoring, yes, this is true, that this is your primary role. This is your primary hat you're wearing. Um, however, what are the other hats that you wear? Um, and then it's the mindset shift. It's the mindset work around going back to why did I start this sport? What was it that that I, what was the energy that kept me going to those workouts for all those times? Why did I do that? And allowing yourself the recognition, like the characteristics that may have you be that athlete that you are right now, that you identify primarily. She's still there. She's, I mean, she's not going to go away. She's not going to go away. You will always be that cyclist regardless of whether or not you're actually on the podium wearing the medal or even doing the sport as you thought you would continue to do, but it's some mindset work. It's, it's, um, honoring. So I have a, a client currently who is found herself at 50, not happy with how she was noticing her hormones. And she did have to have, um, she had a hysterectomy because of, some reasons and so that also shifts us really fast into a whole new place Mm -hmm. and and uh, the doctors that are listening if you're a doctor that works with women who are have a hysterectomy i mean i would love for more doctors to understand the psychosocial experience of that surgery because it's yeah Mm -hmm. um so there's a place uh selene for self-compassion and honoring and recognizing this is my hormones 
if we can just say, oh, right, this is my body doing its thing, doing these hormonal shifts, even if it doesn't feel good, if we acknowledge it, if we, if we um, put it out there, our brain shifts the stressors around it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you said to me, what if my identity solidly is as this athlete? And now I'm not. I've always introduced myself as a marathoner and now I don't do marathons. Who ha- well, how okay. do I introduce myself? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like. Uh-huh. Thank you. That's thank you. Um, what was it that brought you to the sport in the first place? What else is it about marathoning? Why, why is marathoning so important for you? What, what do you get out of it? Well, I, it makes me feel strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I can, I can, uh, I can, I feel strong. I feel powerful. I, um, disciplined, disciplined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have control, even though we really don't, we never really have control, <laughs> um, but it gives me we the like illusion to of control. <laughs> um, body image, right. right. Some oh, yeah. people might say that marathoning keeps their rise. Totally. That's another conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's, it's all part of that same conversation. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. So let's dip our toes in. Let's practice. What else could you say? Mm-hmm. Who else are you? Oh, I'm strong. And I love that you're asking this question. When I have someone that comes to me who's trying to make a shift in a behavior, either to embrace a new behavior or a new habit, the more that you can identify, that identifier is what keeps us going out the door. For example, I don't have a running habit. Mm-hmm. I am a runner. Right. I don't have a cycling habit. I'm a cyclist. Mm-hmm. You can, this, that's the power of what you're talking about. So, okay, let's take that title, marathoner, but what's underneath a marathoner? If I said to you, I have no idea what a marathon is. What is, what, what is that sport even? I don't know. Mm-hmm. There are people that don't know what that is. <laughs> we yeah, yeah, remember. Fair, fair. Yeah, it's hard to remember that. <laughs> oh, well, that's I, I, right. um, yeah. Oh, well, I, um, I run. What, what do you mean you run? I put on my these shoes called running shoes and I go outside and I run. Really? Why do you do that? Um, well, it feels good, right? If you could hear yourself start to do that, you go, yeah. It's not the title of marathoner that keeps me going out the door. It's the feeling of empowerment and strength and power and connected effervescence. I can get those in other ways and I don't have to Maybe I don't call myself a marathoner, but I am still a marathoner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. In different in different populations, you may not introduce yourself as a marathoner. You may not even be relevant in a room. It's still who you are, but it may not be the primary thing you say when you come when you introduce yourself. It's work, though. I'm making it sound so easy. Yeah, no, but it is interesting. Not, like all those qualities are still. They haven't gone away. And it, it's uh, another guest, Casey Duke had said, like, she said the same thing. Like, you just have to, like, shine up those medals because all the qualities that got you those medals are still in you. But maybe you're just heading towards another podium. You don't know what it is. But like all those qualities that that got you there and got you those finishers medals. They're still, they're still part of you. Like they're actually what got you there to that sport in the first place. 
Yeah. I mean, they were there when you came out of the gate, like little tiny baby toddler. You had them. <laughs> well, <there's> that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. And then you had all these other things that were in place to help that those parts, those gifts that you have shine for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is one of my favorite body image um, women is Sonia Renee Taylor. And she talks about like, there's, there is not a toddler that runs around saying, Oh, uh, my legs aren't strong enough or my oh, belly. My thighs are touching. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, I'm glad you asked that because it's not easy. And so younger listeners right now, I would invite them to, Remember all the things that feel good about the reasons why they do their sport. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of us sometimes, I just talked to a swimmer a few days ago and I asked her, are you still swimming? And she said, no, because swimming, but she's, she's trying to find something that helps her feel like she's in flow. She hasn't found it. And I said, what about, why aren't you swimming? She was a college swimmer. Well, swimming got me my scholarship and it, helping me be a better water polo player. And I'm like, okay, but did you like swimming? Not when she was being yelled at by her coaches and not when she had this expectation to be doing something in the pool, but she said, actually, yeah, I really do love when I can just be swimming. So can we dip our toes back into that pool, put away the watch, do what you need to do. Don't tell anybody if it's important for you, for nobody to know that you're getting back in the pool. Don't tell anyone. But let's see if we can re- reignite that. Totally, totally. That is just speaking to me so heavily because I had to do that with cycling like as well. I'm like, I must put down racing a little bit. And I took all of the my watch off. I took my computer off my bike. I took all of it. And I just started riding mm-hmm. with some friends who would like put beers in their pockets and go out into the woods for hours. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is really fun. <laughs> you know, and it just, it was, that is exactly what I needed. You know, yeah, to sort of yeah. reconnect again. Yes, there's a lot of practices, Celine. There's a lot of different tools that we can tap into with this. One of them, one of my favorites, is that it's a type of a meditation called Tonglen. Um, I did a snowshoe race here up in Traverse City, Michigan, a few years ago with a friend, and you know, we had the option of a 5K and a 10K snowshoe race. And I'm like, well, of course I'm going to do the 10K. <laughs> like, right, right, of you? course. Mm-hmm. And it was two loops. And I will tell you what, I have done a lot of hard races in my life, a lot. This race was so hard. It was so hard. I was like, oh yeah, I get now why people only do the 5K. <laughs> and I was in the middle of the race and it was so hard. And I thought to myself, okay, here's what I'm going to do. This is Tonglen. It's a, it's a slight reversal of another type of meditation called loving kindness. In loving kindness meditation, we say, I give you the gift of kindness. I give you, the, or, or um, may you be, may you, I'm sorry, I messed it up a little bit. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you live with ease. Um, may you feel accepted or whatever. And that's a loving kindness meditation. So Tonglin is a little bit different because you actually take in the suffering of others and you send out strength, energy, power. So in the middle of this so hard race, I was like, okay, everyone in the race right now, give it to me, give it to me. I know you all are suffering right now. I know this is hard for you. And I took it in. 
literally, I was like, give it, give it to me, give it to me. And then I said, uh, now I'm going to give you the gift of strength. I was doing this while I was running and it completely shifted my mindset. And I was, I'm not going to say it wasn't still hard, but it powerfully kept me in the race and kept me like, right, we're all suffering right now. I am not the only one. And I'm going to give you some of my strength right now. Here, take it. And it was really, really powerful. Wow, so, that's cool. Uh, it's called Tongue Yeah. That, that is cool. Let's talk protein. As you've heard a million times on this show, women in the menopause transition need more of it. As estrogen declines, it's harder for us to make muscle, and we need to take in more protein to get the job done. If you're training hard, you need even more, a lot more. Two grams per kilogram per day, which for me is about 120 grams. Some days it's a challenge to get through meals alone, so it's nice to have powders on hand when you need them. And if you're looking for one that is low in sugar, high in branched chain amino acids like leucine, which is especially good for muscle protein synthesis or making muscle, and is easy on your belly, our sponsor Prevenex has a good one, Norify Plus. Norify Plus is a vegan protein powder, which I know a lot of our listeners are keen to find, and is also super rich in all of your branched chain amino acids and contains probiotics and digestive enzymes, so it's easy to digest and doesn't cause the gassy feeling that you get with many other protein powders, which is something that I know a lot of women are interested in as well. Nerify has more than 130 positive reviews, including one from Hip Play Not Pause listener Donna, who gave it five stars saying, I just made my second shake with the chocolate vegan protein supplement. It is delicious. I love that it has vitamins and branched chain amino acids. I think this will become my go-to protein powder. Thanks, Donna. So listeners of this show can get 15% off their first time purchase by using the code HITPLAY at checkout. Again, go to Prevenix.com, use the code HITPLAY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. If you don't like it, the company offers a 100% money back guarantee on all of the products within 30 days, no questions asked. So again, use HITPLAY, all one word, all caps at checkout, for 15% off your first time purchase at Prevenex, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. So in talking, this this is a, a little nice pivot because I want to talk, you, you, you're a self-described neuroscience nerd and you've, you've, <laughs> you've displayed that quite a, quite a few times during this conversation. But I think this is really important to address here because very recent research, Dr. Lisa Moscone's work, has shown that our brains, women's brains, fundamentally change during the menopause transition. She did scans to show like physically fundamental changes in the gray and white matter. And for yeah. some women, they it returns, you know, they, they it, it sort of shifts and then returns back afterwards. But for about 20%, it does not, you know, the brain remains fundamentally changed. And how how do you help women wrap their minds like literally around that? Because so much of this is about like it's it's easy to be like, oh, it's my hormones, it's my brain. But then you you there's this piece where it's like my brain is changing. Like that is something I don't even that's a that's a that's a you know, you you've always like your brain has been one thing for a long time. And then to try to work with a uh 
what is becoming a feral animal. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It was always like <laughs> this nice domestic cat and then you put it outside. You know, I don't, I'm not really sure. Yes. Well, I, this, so one of my favorite um, neuroscientists is a woman named Lisa Barrett. Man, <laughs> I hope I have her name right. She's, she's out of uh, Yale. Oh God, I'm getting in trouble right now. She wrote a book called The um, Emotions. It's all, her work is solidly in emotion and what, how we label emotions and then how that labeling can impact our ability to be moving through emotions. The reason why I'm saying this is that, um, yes, our brains change. Doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's a negative, bad, let's run away from it. Can we drop into the curiosity? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this now we go back to recognizing, oh, wow, that's mind-blowing that my brain is literally going to change. Right. Then we feel it. I'm scared. I'm scared. That doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> and we, we allow that somatic experience, like, mm-hmm. oh, this feels really hard. And you stay in it, which athletes are incredibly good at tolerating. Mm-hmm. Tolerating mm-hmm. discomfort is our happy place. So just allow yourself that discomfort for a moment. Allow yourself to be like, whoa, that sounds really scary. I don't like, I don't think I like how that feels. Then does that mean, okay, now when you do that, Celine, neurochemically, you have lowered the stress of that fact. Now you are able to be a little bit more curious. That's interesting. <laughs> right. What is she talking about? What is Dr. Moscone talking about? Mm-hmm. Does that necessarily mean a bad thing or is it just that it's changing? Mm-hmm. And if we can then look at something as reality right now okay my brain is changing right that is much we have a much better chance of like tolerating the distress it's up to us to respond to it um does that make sense we it totally makes sense and, it, and it's kind of the whole theme of this whole genesis of this whole podcast honestly is working <laughs> with the changing physiology not like railing against it necessarily because yeah. working with it helps like smooth the smoothing the flow of it so that makes working with it and also honoring Mm -hmm. honoring that it's hard honoring that it's hard and uh paying attention to when you're trying to dig in your heels and and push through it versus oh i think i'm just gonna let go a little bit of the rope (sighs) take some breaths recognize what is real that's happening does it have to be my truth? What is my truth in all of this? Oh yeah, I'm still a runner. I'm still powerful. I'm still strong. I'm still connected to my friends. I'm going to have to shift something. Interesting. It's very, in, in that moment, like you and I both feel differently. Just in our conversation, like in our Zoom, if we were mad at each other right now, <laughs> you would feel it. Your heart rate would be going up. Your blood pressure would be changing. We know that. Yeah. So also right. remembering like right. that you can do that, that with yourself. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a good, that is a very good reminder actually. Yeah. yeah. No, I like that. So I've, I've heard you talk, you know, speaking about these things and, and supporting yourself, you know, you've talked about pillars in life, you know, and we talk about them on the show all the time, sleeping, 
stress, managing stress, you know, having that support, having that sense of purpose. You know, some of these pillars, though, can definitely take some chinks during this transition, right? Like sleep. I mean, that's that's a mission in itself for some women. Um, the stress component, again, the cortisol just wants to go up. Um, so I'm wondering, this is a real fundamental question. Like when you are having some of those pillars kind of being like chinked away at, is it best to try to work at the pillars that are under assault or do you lean more heavily on the ones that are standing stable? Does that make sense? Is mm, that a hundred percent? Yes, yeah, totally. It's so individualized, but uh, what has been my experience with working with my clients is, um, I, this is the power of being really paying attention to your own story. If a giant pillar is feels too hard to even get your head around, then I would often say to a client, um, let's not, let's not, let's not like put all your eggs in the sleep basket right now because it feels huge to you right, and it's making right. you stressed. Right, right. So let's go with something a little bit softer right now. So what are there other areas that feel like your wheel is a little bit low? Mm-hmm. Where, where is, and you know, right. That, that um, analogy of the wellness wheel and we've got the spokes and yep. Yep. This one might be too big. It might feel like too big of an elephant for you to start chomping at, but let's go. Okay. Let's go to a different one because as soon as you attune to any of those, Mm-hmm. there's going to be a trickle down that's going to Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. So it's the same with any kind of a habit that we have, a behavior that we want to change. If it's a huge behavior that we really want to change, okay, let's shift it a little bit to something slightly less threatening, less giant. So does that make sense? Sleep is such a great example. We because uh, right now the news is all about sleep, 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 and we know physiologically that our sleep is totally even disrupted. Menopause, stress, expectations. We can keep going. If we're stressed that we're not getting enough sleep, totally. I think that can be like all the stress. All the stress on sleep can be incredibly stressful. Right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um. And so, okay, so I will say to a client, what else feels kind of, what else feels a little challenging for you? Well, yeah, I've been noticing that also um, mornings have been harder for me. Okay, tell me about your morning. Well, I get up and I do this and I do this. So is there, I wonder if there's any room in that place where we can start to make some changes, micro changes. Um, Are you... Waking up with an alarm clock, hitting the floor at full force, throwing food in your body. We know neurobiologically that if we are, it doesn't matter what we eat, if we're eating it under stress, our body will change the chemical. We change it chemically to help us. If you have the most amazing kale salad, but you're scarfing it down really fast because you have to get somewhere physiologically your body is going to change the components of that food because you're stressed. So maybe we can just play a little bit with, I'm not a nutritionist. So that would be a place where I might say, if this feels like a little bit of an easier thing, let's look at that a little bit. Or can you give yourself an extra minute in bed 
to lie there and um, just imagine, how do I want to be today? I want to be patient. I want to be, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt today. I've been really impatient with people. That, I didn't tell you to go sleep better, but that will absolutely impact your sleep on the other side of your day. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Does it? Does it does. It does. No, it 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 it, it all comes. There's a there's there's a constant that's running <laughs> through this, which is sort of that that those moments that you take bring lower the temperature of that stress. Like and and that all yeah. feeds. It's a feedback loop that also helps you sleep better and helps you perform. Like all of it is sort of grounded in those moments of. I think people overlook the importance of that self-compassion piece and just like how, like when you, when you do that, when you take a deep breath and you're like, okay, this is hard. Like you can physically feel that you can physically feel the change in yourself. And I think that really appreciating the importance of that is paramount right now. I mean, it, it, that is not insignificant. Exactly. I like it. This is Lisa Barrett again. Her She coined a phrase called, um, your brain's job is to balance your body's budget. And this, this lands really well for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. When you put your head on the pillow, that's when the brain goes to work. That's when the brain goes, okay, everybody, game on. And if we have not, during the day, given our brain a little bit of a break, then it takes a lot longer for the brain to even get ready to do the work it needs to do. Yep. So. Cause it's like, we pause. have some stuff to think about and talk about here. <laughs> we have, we haven't done that all day. <laughs> I got a good yes. 45 minutes for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like yeah. that um, Disney movie, the Pixar movie. Um, oh, inside out. Inside out. Love it so much. Love it so much. Cause it's true. That was so, That's what our brain does. And it's when we're sleeping. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So the yeah, micro no, that, moments. I love that movie too. Yeah. And you can do that in your sport. They don't forget that you can do that when you're in your workout. If you can take a moment in the midst of a workout to be like, breathe, or like, oh wow, this is a hard workout, or this feels so good, or I'm I'm lifting this weight that I hadn't ever lifted before. Oh yeah. Good reminder. Good reflection. That's a positive hit yeah. for the brain. And that feels really good. So it doesn't have to be sitting on a meditation cushion for right, an hour. Right, right. It's all helpful. Yeah. So, so finally, you know, I, I want to honor that you are practicing so much of this yourself in your life right now. I, my understanding, and I don't even know how to pronounce this, that you were recently diagnosed with a chronic inflammatory uh, disease or disorder, I should say. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because as a woman who's run 19 marathons, including four Bostons, when I read about this, I thought you are definitely treating yourself right now with a lot of your own advice. Mm. I, uh, thank you for bringing that up. And you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and I still am in the midst of it. So short story is um, that, it, yes, it's called CIDP, Chronic Inflammatory Demyelinating um, Polyneuropathy. What that means is it's a, it's a rare um, autoimmune disease in which my antibodies are attacking the myelin sheath of the nerves. 
Mm. And mm-hmm. that attacking of the myelin sheath, my sheath, the myelin sheath, the covering of the nerve is um, becoming um, frayed or even damaged. And therefore the nerves themselves are, are getting damaged. And it shows up for me as uh, neuropathy in both of my feet up to my calves and it's beginning to come into my fingers. And I was diagnosed October 4th, but I'll take you back. I did a um, backpacking trip in early July, noticed that I felt a little effortful in that backpacking trip. Like I was like, huh, this feels a little harder than usual for backpacking, Mm -hmm. but no big deal. Came home, rested up from it, went for a run and noticed, God, this run feels harder than it should feel. Started to pay attention. And this is the power of being an athlete. I know what it feels like in my body when something isn't right. right. I said to my partner, I think my feet are asleep. It feels like my feet are asleep. And so I thought that's weird. And I immediately thought it's in my spine because if you have tingling and I know this about my body, maybe it's in my spine. So I went like to Maybe the there's a nerve with, pinched or something. Maybe yeah. there's a nerve punch. Mm-hmm. And um, she, I went to a doctor who was not my doctor and so this woman doesn't know me, but out of the gates, I said, I'm an athlete. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm noticing in my feet. And she said, okay, give me some history. And I made the mistake of telling her that I had recently changed my shoes. And this physician oh. locked in on that. And she said, right. let's change your shoes. Right. And I said, well, what if it's not my shoes? Could it be in my spine? And she said, what makes you think that? And I said, well, here's why. She said, no, that's the zebra. Let's go with the horses. Let's change your shoes. I left there. I called my people and I said, who do I need to talk to who will give me a spine exam? Went to that person. He said, yeah, let's look at your spine. We looked at my spine. It wasn't my spine. So the point of me telling you all this, Lillian, is that I, because I am an athlete and I know what it feels like in my body. And if there's any physicians that are listening right now, when someone comes to you and says, I'm an athlete and this is what's happening, please listen. We know ourselves. How did you get really to the well. diagnosis then? Yeah. I went to that spine doctor. We realized it's not in the spine. He said, now we need to go to neurology. Okay. I went to one neurologist, different healthcare system than I'm with now. And he said to me, quite literally, this is idiopathic neuropathy and there's nothing you can do. That was my first appointment with this man and my partner. And I sat there and I said, wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that there's nothing I can do here? What? And he's like, yeah. And oh my I was like, God. what? So I left there, fired him in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Called my people and said, okay, I need another neurologist. Cause I, this is the first appointment and he's telling me I'm done. Oh my Lord. Okay. Yeah. So I went to a different healthcare system, uh, university of Michigan medicine. And I said, this is what's going on for me. And I luckily got into a neurologist. This is the problem. This is, a, you know, we could have a whole nother. Oh my God. That's a whole other show. Stuff. Yes. But yes. Um, and I recognize right now that I had a lot going for me. I had resources. I had bandwidth. I had mm-hmm, tenacity. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. resilience. I had people in my life. I have a white body culture. There's so many reasons why I was able to do this digging, I believe. But I, um, went to this neurologist and they said, we're going to do, and there's this test called an EMG and it's really, really hard and very, um, doesn't feel good at all. I don't recommend it, 
I did two of those and they came back and they said, this is what we believe this is. So what do they do in that test? They, um, EMG is studies the neuro, the neuromuscular engagement, what's happening in the nerves and in the muscles. And so the first part of it is they put these patches on you and they're testing. They're going to, have you ever uh, touched a, like a electronic sense by accident? Yeah. 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 Okay. Now multiply that by steroids because that's what they do. They're like tap and you go, and they go tap and you go. Okay. Yeah. That's a little unpleasant. Yeah. And then they, then they put a needle into the butt, into the nerve cell and they they listen for the Okay, yeah, that's okay. where I got was it. really got working it. on my okay. life. Lisa, drop into curiosity because this is going <laughs> to drop anyway. into curiosity. Wow, why is this so terrible? Anyway, <laughs> so yes. So what's happening for me right now? And I, I had to um, even fight the insurance company because I didn't. They did not authorize the treatment. I will start treatment in December. It's called IVIG. It's uh, in by infusion. The good thing is there is a treatment. I don't know how much I will respond to it, but you asked me, how are you handling this? Because mm-hmm. this is a giant, giant life quake. Because you cannot run. Um, is that, is that... I can't run. I, mm-hmm. I can't even, quite literally, if you said to me, Lisa, you have to run to the end of the block, I can't. Um, I can walk at a certain pace and that's as hard as I can. That's the weird thing about this whole thing. We don't need to spend a lot of time in this, but there's no pain. It's just severe lack, profound lack of, rank. I need to hold on to rails when I go up and down stairs. I can't carry anything those stairs. That is a very different shift for me who identifies as really strong, powerful, playing thing. I am ha- allowing myself a lot of pity parties, parties. I am allowing myself to be really sad. I don't know if I won't respond to the treatment. I don't know that I won't be able to run again, let alone move with ease move quicker than I can right now. I don't know that that isn't my reality. So I'm choosing right now to stay in the lane of hope that maybe I will get it back. That helps me right now. Um, And then I think I told you like in August, I was signed up for a triathlon and I realized I can't run. And it's this particular triathlon. The run is on trails, my favorite race. And I thought I can't, I don't want to be on the trails for a really long time getting eaten by mosquitoes. So I, <laughs> I put myself in the aquathon. So I rode my bike and I swam and it was really hard. And that was, um, it was hard for me effortfully. I came out of the water and I was pretty sure I was last. My friends were like, you were so not last, but I felt like it. Cause it's, I don't have strength in my legs anymore to swim really. So I did what I could do. I got out, I got on my bike and wow. I was like, this is so hard. One of the hills, which is not really a hill, we're in Michigan. Right, right. I almost had to get off and walk my bike. That is not me. So point being that I intentionally did that though, Celine, because I wanted to feel that collective effervescence. It was Mm -hmm. really important for me in that moment. This is one of the things I love about being an athlete and being out there and being, Mm -hmm. I listened to the people around me. I totally took in their energy because I had this feeling this might be my last race or it may be my last race of this kind for quite a long while. Um, and then now I'm just really doing a lot of mindset work and giving myself a lot of compassion and staying with, I have this amazing group of running friends that are all walking with me right now and I can still walk. So I feel grateful. 
I'm I'm crying, listeners. So yeah. just give me, thank you for thank you for sharing that. Um, sometimes I just start crying and I don't see it coming. <laughs> um, I'm I'm a super empathetic person. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that because, uh, you know, like we don't know. I like I was like we started this conversation. Like the ground can shift really fast, right? And your ground shifted super fast. Like that was a gigantic life break. And that story is just so illustrative of how you found ground, you know, when when the, the ground was, you know, not not at all stable. So thank yeah. you for, for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also think, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm surprised that I didn't cry while I was telling you all that because <laughs> it's, it's, I took it for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, yes, the empathy. I totally get that. You're an empath. So you took on some of my experience. Um, therein lies the power of me being 59 years old and having a lot of life breaks, a lot loss and a child with a very serious medical condition, blah, blah, blah. So my point being that um, our listeners can acknowledge that uh, there's some life experience that comes into me being able to be holding my ground right now and also a lot of compassion and surrounding myself with people who are holding me up right now and tapping into those other things that bring me joy. Oh, like I decided to learn how to get swimming lessons, even though I can't drive wearing a swim buoy. And I went with my partner and she and I are having swim lessons. And it's really fun to be learning mm-hmm. a new sport mm-hmm. in a different mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I've been training triathletes. I do do that. Mm-hmm. I have this group mm-hmm. of women that I train triathlons. I outsource the swimming also, always, um, but I was always a swimmer, but I didn't have, I had not had a swim lesson in a really long time. Man, there's a lot of technique to swimming. Boy, there's a lot of technique. <laughs> yes. And it's a whole new thing. It's fun to be learning a new thing and moving my body in a completely different way. And so I can get a little bit of endorphins from that. Excellent. Well, that's our show. Join me next week for a conversation with the one and only, the very rad, Melanie McQuaid. Melanie is a professional triathlon and mountain bike racer and five-time world champion who most recently placed third place at Ironman Chattanooga at the age of 48. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, you know what to do. Stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends 
And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. 